this morning, I thought we'd keep it simple, and I just want to go back to basics for the next. I get a flavour of what we're about here at Church Central, uh, other than the way we worship, the way we do, which we dealt with last week. If you want a flavour of what we're really about, number one, we love to pray. Number two, we're keen to reach out to the people around us who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ for themselves. And I want to speak into both of those things the rest of the time that remains this morning. If you like, I want us to look upwards at prayer and then outwards to sharing the good news of Jesus with others. If you want to follow along, uh, we're going to be in Colossians and chapter 4. Uh, just to set it in a bit of context, the previous three chapters of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae, he's covered some pretty deep theological teaching. It's all been pretty profound. And now he closes out this letter with some quick, rapid-fire instructions. And that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 2 of chapter 4. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I might proclaim it clearly as I should. That's the upwards bit. And then verse 5, Paul continues, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. That's the outwards bit. Let's begin with the upwards. Paul says several critical things about prayer here in these verses. First of all, he says, devote yourselves to prayer. Uh, in the Gospels, in Luke 18, Jesus famously taught that we should always pray and not give up. Uh, elsewhere in the New Testament, in another one of his letters, in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, Paul simply says, pray continually. The great Pentecostal healing evangelist, a guy called Smith Wigglesworth, used to say, I seldom pray for more than half an hour, but never go longer than half an hour without prayer. You know, I think we've still got a bit of a way to go as a site in terms of this kind of devotion to prayer. And to that end, later on, before we're done, we'll be sharing just a couple of new initiatives or opportunities to help get you praying more. But continuing through the passage, Paul also encourages us to be watchful in our praying. The original word that's translated as watchful here is actually awake. So Paul's basically saying, stay awake when you pray. But I think it's getting a, a little bit more than simply not dozing off. It's kind of about being alert. Now, often in the New Testament, this whole idea of being watchful or alert is linked with the imminent return of Christ at the end of time. It's like our lives here are short. 
Hell is unthinkably horrific. Heaven is glorious in every way. Eternity is forever. Our time here is limited. There is much to do. Christ could return at any moment. And so there is an urgency in holding the gospel, the good news about Jesus, out to people who don't yet believe. And that really should influence our prayers. We're to be watchful. We're to be alert. We're to be urgent in our praying. I also think there's a sense in which we are to be alert to what is going on all around us. We don't pray the same prayers that we prayed 10 years ago. The world has changed. Things have moved on. We need fresh ways of praying because of the fresh challenges that we're facing today. I notice that we're also to pray with thankfulness. Now, I think this is a really helpful piece of advice because if we just look at the world around us, we could very easily end up depressed, hopeless, demotivated in our praying. I mean, what's the point? What what difference could we ever make? But if we start by focusing on God at who He is and what He is like and the difference He's made in our lives, that gives us perspective. It, It gives us hope and confidence. It encourages us to pray with a little more faith. As a guy called Dick Lucas put it, prayer can no more exist without praise than true praise without prayer. The one fuels the other. And then Paul says, pray for us too. Pray for the evangelistic work that I'm doing. Pray for a door to open for the message about Jesus. He's encouraging us here to pray for the advance of the gospel. And more specifically, he's encouraging us to pray for this a bit further away than where we are. He's saying, please, don't get so locked up with your own personal needs and your own individual local mission. No, pray for things further afield. For example, down the road, our west site has just started monthly outreach in and around Bearwood on Sunday afternoons. They're also just on the brink of launching a brand new CAP life skills course that gives people in the local community confidence and decision-making skills needed to survive life on a low income. Pray for our friends at the west side. Up in our north site, you might have seen it uh, on social media in the last week, Chris, who heads up that site, uh, he was rushed into hospital a week ago, uh, has had his uh, appendix removed, Uh, he's now kind of in the process of recovery, but will be off the scene for a month or more. Pray for the team there as they kind of carry things in his absence. Also, I think I'm right in saying next weekend is the Wiley Birch Fun Day, um, and the the team in the north are providing a barbecue for everyone in the community who, who wants to be fed, so they certainly do need their prayer, our prayer. Also, one of the, the joys uh, that I have, and by extension you have as well, is being involved in something called 2020 Birmingham. Uh, Neil Powell, who heads up City Church, uh, and myself, we co-lead this kind of 
church planting initiative in the city. And uh, the goal was between 2010 and 2020 uh, to see 20 new churches planted in and around Birmingham. Well, the good news is, as of today, uh, we've seen 17 new churches started in the last eight years. The other three, we know where they're going to be and who's going to lead them. They're very much in the pipeline. By 2020, we'll have hit the goal. Now, rather than kind of resting back, yeah, a bit of applause, I, I think probably is called for. Now, we're not going to rest on our laurels. Um, between 2020 and 2030, we thought we could rename it 2030 Birmingham uh, and go for a further 30 churches planted uh, in that period of time. So 20 plus 30 makes 50. And if those 50 all reproduce once in our lifetime, we could see another 100 churches in and around Birmingham. That's what, um, and, and, and to fill in the gaps, we're, we're training leaders intentionally, uh, we're recruiting from elsewhere, we're, we're on it in terms of the planning. But even more than that, we're thinking, well, how can we do more than just planting churches? Uh, how could we be for the good of this city? And so we're looking at new initiatives in terms of social justice, in terms of the arts, in terms of faith and work, uh, more news to follow. But as a church, we're right in the thick of it, helping serve this city alongside others. Pray for it. Please pray for it. Right now, uh, our very own Andy Martin is in Istanbul. This week, he's been gathering team leaders from our churches out there. He's preaching through today, other stuff going on next week. I know for a fact he would cover your prayers. I've just got three prayer requests from our team uh, out on the ground in Beirut. Interested to, to hear what they're like prayer for? Yeah? Okay, I'll tell you. Uh, Judy... And some other women on the team, uh, they've been building this really deep friendship with a Syrian believer from a Muslim background. A few weeks ago, uh, the husband, who isn't a believer, uh, had uh, a powerful vision of Jesus, uh, and as a result, is altogether more open and hungry to find out more. And so, Rich has spent uh, several three-hour sessions with him over the last few weeks, telling stories about Jesus, teaching him about the Bible, but not without opposition. Uh, and so each time they've met up, uh, something has happened. First time, Joseph, Rich and Judy's young son, uh, started being violently sick, vomiting and vomiting and vomiting. Uh, incidentally, uh, Joseph also in the last few days has developed another medical condition uh, and needs uh, emergency surgery. Can we be praying for protection for Rich and Judy and Joseph. They're right on the cutting edge, but not without backlash. Uh, the second time that Rich met up to do a Bible study uh, in their home, their young son was out on the street and got hit by a motorbike. Uh, it's like, uh, now, he's it, it, okay, but it's like there is opposition uh, around introducing people to Jesus. Can we be praying that God draws his family really close to him and for protection on all of them. That's the first one. Four years ago, when Rich and Judy were thinking about relocating to Beirut, they set up uh, a small Facebook page uh, reaching out to Syrian refugees uh, in Beirut, people they didn't know, just asking for a bit of advice and feedback for someone looking to move into Lebanon, just stuff in terms of where to live and uh, how much rent would be and those sorts of things. And a few people kind of um, interacted on that page. Fast forward two years, 
Uh, and uh, a couple who have moved from Bournemouth to be part of that team were looking for help with language uh, and hooked up with a Syrian refugee lady who was one of the few who had interacted on the Facebook page. Uh, uh, completely random, completely coincidental, or potentially God kind of bringing them together in a huge, huge city. Uh, as a result, uh, they've built this really strong friendship uh, and as of this weekend, uh, Judy and one of the other ladies on the team are meeting up with the mother and the daughter who, independently of each other, have asked to find out more about Jesus. This weekend, they're doing their first Bible study in their home with them. Needless to say, they'd appreciate our prayers. And then the third story is never dull out in Beirut. The third story, the team have been over the last few years studying and learning about the way leadership and relationships work in the Middle East and how things like money and aid and power shape the way people relate with one another. And God's really opened this up to the point that next month, Rich and Andy Martin are going to be hosting a gathering in Beirut of 45 of the world's leading thinkers on this. Academics from around the world are flying in. I'm not exaggerating. The top thinkers on this subject are gathering for a short conference. Pray for the logistics. Pray that have a great time together. And pray for this to benefit many other Christian organizations working in the Middle East. You get in the message. It's good to pray for the advance of the gospel further afield. But Paul doesn't let us off the hook here. He then turns to the question of how we are doing in our own personal outward mission 24-7, which is pretty annoying because I thought I was going to get away with just talking about prayer generally and praying for lost people out in Beirut and Turkey to come to Christ and then I could go home for my lunch feeling like I've done my bit but not a chance. Paul says, pray for the nations, but how are you doing with your next door neighbor? How are you doing with your course mates or work colleagues? And so in verse 5, Paul starts talking to us about our outward living. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Now, before we get into the specifics of these instructions, let me just very quickly touch on that word, outsiders. Because if you're here this morning and you are perhaps considering Christianity, you'd say, in all honesty, you haven't yet crossed the line of faith. You haven't yet put your confidence and trust in Jesus. You might quite possibly find this term outsiders a little bit offensive. Now, just to reassure you, nowadays, that word has slightly harsher connotations than it did back when Paul wrote this letter. Paul is not encouraging Christians to adopt an us-and-them mentality, like we are the special ones on the inside and you're not. No, Paul is simply acknowledging 
that around any healthy church, there are going to be people who aren't yet on the inside of faith. People who haven't quite yet crossed the line of faith. People who are still exploring it for themselves. And if that's where you are right now, I just want you to know you are incredibly welcome here. You may be on the outside of faith, but please don't ever think that means you have to be outside the life of this church. We absolutely love having you with us. This really is a safe place to come and explore and ask your questions and grapple with your doubts. But through it all, I think we'd be lying if we said we're not bothered whether or not you end up putting your faith in Jesus. As I hope you've picked up, even this morning as we've worshipped, He is very much at the center of everything we do. We simply can't imagine wanting to do life without Jesus. He's made such a radical difference in our lives, it's only natural we'd want others to come to know Him for themselves. So by all means, hang around the the, the edges looking in for as long as you want to. But at some point, you've got to make the decision whether you want to come right in. And I don't know, maybe for some of you, you could be at that point today. And if you are, I'll tell you, we'd love to chat some more with you, love to pray with you at the end before we're done. Now, all that being said, what Paul goes on to say here is that it's important for Christians to be able to answer the questions of those on the outside of faith. Now, look, this probably doesn't come as a huge surprise to you. I totally believe in preaching. I believe in the public proclamation of the truths of Scripture. But it's interesting how Paul, this phenomenally famous preacher, says that we need to know how to answer people's questions Not that they simply need to just sit there, shut up, and listen. No, he's implying interaction. He's imagining dialogue, conversation between you and people who have genuine questions about faith. And so, it's not all on the preacher. It's not all on the Sunday gathering. The implication is that you have a crucial role to play in all of this as well. It's about you as an individual helping another individual with their specific questions. Now, the reality is, it's not a choice between this, between kind of public proclamation and private proclamation. Now, the Bible clearly teaches the importance of both. In fact, one without the other isn't all that effective. You see, on the one hand, most people need a personal connection to even get to a public meeting like this. So we might have phenomenal meetings here with breathtaking preaching, awesome worship, and we're kind of scratching our heads going, why aren't we growing as a church? And so we put more and more and more energy into having better and better and better meetings in the hope that eventually the glory of the Lord will leak out 
and they will come. If we can just get this place really on fire, then they will come. But they don't. Conversely, if we're each doing pretty well in our own personal witnessing, but we haven't got anywhere that we feel comfortable bringing our friends, it can be a struggle helping people get to the point of decision and getting saved. So you see, we've got to do both. As we'll share with you again a bit later on, we've got loads of opportunities this term to invite our friends to events that we're hoping will help them discover more about Jesus for themselves. But in all honesty, these events will be a complete and utter waste of time if we're not also committed day in, day out to making the most of every opportunity with our friends. Now, because this is so important, and because I think, in reality, a lot of us kind of find it a bit of a struggle getting motivation for this, let me quickly lob out three reasons why I think it's necessary for unbelievers to have connection with you. So, three reasons. Number one, modern-day unbelievers, generally speaking, are increasingly skeptical of all things institutional, particularly institutionalized religion. Let's face it, the average unbeliever isn't getting a great view of the church or religion generally right now. Whether it's terrorism or acts of atrocity from many centuries ago or in the present day, who's behind it all? Religious people. And then there are all the abuse scandals that regularly hit the front pages of the newspapers. For the average non-Christian, it's not like the church is amazing. Now, you and I, we, we come along and we know it's not all like that. Hopefully, we know that the leaders are reasonably genuine. We know we're not a bunch of charlatans, racists, or terrorists. But our friends don't know this. They're understandably suspicious or downright cynical. Therefore, it's essential that they have a credible friendship with a believer who they trust because that makes Christianity ever so slightly more credible for them. And if they, over time, grow to trust their Christian friend, they're then going to be more likely to be open to giving their Christian friend's church a try at some point. That's the first reason why it's important for unbelievers to have connection with you. Here's the second reason. The average unbeliever has a minimal grasp on Christian truth. Let's imagine a scale from 1 to 10. And let's say that to become a Christian, someone needs, let's say, level 5 knowledge. So, you become a Christian, there's still much more to learn. But let's say kind of five is the point. You need that amount of knowledge, uh, and then you've got enough to believe. Of course, it's not just about knowledge. So, I am simplifying this. But for the sake of this illustration, let's say the average unbeliever needs a working knowledge of Christianity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the cross, sin, grace, and a bunch of other stuff. Now, 100 years ago, the average unbeliever in the UK probably had a level four knowledge of Christianity. The culture back then was, 
way more Christianized than it is today. And so unbelievers could pitch up to a church meeting like this, and all the preacher needs to do is seal the deal. In just one preach, a first-time visitor could move from four to five and through to faith. But the average unbeliever today is much closer to zero. Like, I don't even believe there's a God. And if there is a God, how could he allow all the suffering in the world? And who is Jesus? Don't know anything about him. Lord's Prayer? Never heard of it. The Bible? Well, everyone knows the Old Testament is just nonsense. The New Testament is dubious at best. It's like the gap from there to crossing the line of faith is massive. It it can't be covered in just one message. But if an unbeliever has a genuine friendship with a Christian, over the course of a year or two or three, kind of all of those questions and issues and doubts and concerns can be chatted through. Like, here's a book that you could read that might help you. Let me tell you how my faith helped me handle it when I was worried about that kind of thing. Look, let me introduce you to one of my friends from church. They've been through something similar to what you're facing right now. What's happening through your friendship is you are helping them move from naught to one through one and a half and two and two and a half and two and three quarters and three and slowly but surely closer to five. That's the second reason why unbelievers desperately need you. Here's the third reason. We live in a society that is so incredibly diverse, diverse ethnically, diverse generationally, diverse in every way. I mean, the the, the rate of change and the way people think from generation to generation is rapid in the extreme. And so what worked back in the 80s or 90s is pretty irrelevant now. It's kind of things that worked 10 years ago were answering questions that simply aren't being asked anymore. All this to say Evangelism is way more complex in the era we live than it used to be. One size really doesn't fit all. Some people need more of an intellectual approach. Others need stories. Some people need to experience it or feel it firsthand. Others need to think it through. Listen, although the gospel message does not change, the way we communicate it does need to change so that the person can hear it. And I tell you, you are best placed to bring the message in a way that fits for your friends. You know, if we're all out scattered through the city making friends, each of us taking seriously Jesus' call to be fishers of men, I think together we can actually cover quite a lot of ground. So there are three quick reasons why it's crucially important that we are good at this stuff. Moving on, Paul says, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt. That right there is a superb tip for us as we gather corporately as a church and for us individually as we then scatter out through this city. For starters, speak graciously and kindly about other Christians, whether it's the church down the road, someone else in this church, or a complete stranger online. When we disagree, let's be generous-spirited. Let's be respectful. Let's be gracious about it. 
We also need to watch how we speak about non-Christians. Please, let's not be known as the guy who's always moaning and complaining and gossiping and nitpicking. Let's be known for the way we encourage and build up and speak positively about others. And let's also speak graciously about other religions. If we don't really care about seeing anyone come to faith, then say what you want, how you want. But if you want to see people from other faiths come to know Jesus for who he is, then we've got to show respect. We've got to give honor. We've got to be genuine friends. And then this last phrase, make the most of every opportunity. Now, the sake of integrity, because my wife is much better at doing this kind of stuff than I am, uh, I thought it might be a, a cunning plan for Helen to come and share a few of the ways that she tries to make the most of everyday life, make the most of every opportunity in everyday life. So, Helen, take it away. Um, for me, uh, number one for me is make genuine friendships uh, with one, two, or three people uh, who don't yet know Jesus. Uh, we can all make friends, but don't make friends just with the aim for them seeing them become Christians. Make friends for friendship's sake. Don't just pray that they'd become Christians, but pray for their work, pray for their studies, their health, pray for their marriage, pray for their kids. Um, I kind of make it my goal to be the best friend that I can possibly be. So for me, looking out for creative ways of showing this, whether it's a text, a card, popping in flowers, all the sort of things you would do with those that you know uh, within church, this will lead to natural opportunities. And at times for me, I found building a rhythm of doing stuff um, at the same time really helps me. So for me, for years I've had the same hairdresser. You might think it's time for a change, Helen, but... Um, she comes around my house, uh, we have a cup of tea, um, we chat for a bit and we usually chat for a bit more. Occasionally I have to say to her, we must stop talking so that you can concentrate on cutting my hair. Uh, but having had her again and again and again, it's just led to genuine friendship and deeper conversation over the years. Uh, when my boys started secondary school, I started going swimming regularly. Uh, with, I went with the aim to swim, uh, but also the opportunity to meet a whole uh, new group of people. So I sought to be intentionally friendly to those waiting in the queue rather early in the morning, uh, looking out for eye contact, looking out for that just those general things, good morning, uh, hope you have a good day afterwards, and those kinds of things. And I found I was meeting the same people again and again. And it just, the conversations uh, just got uh, deeper at times. We wouldn't just talk about um, swimming techniques uh, that I didn't know much about, actually. Um, but um, I got talking deeper, really, with some of the, a few of the ladies there. And uh, after a while, suggested we'd have breakfast together afterwards, uh, which we still do now. And then another thing, at Christmas every day, uh, year, wherever we've lived, we've invited our neighbours around for mulled wine and mince pies. Uh, and sometimes we've had a real small group in our house and sometimes we've had just a full house completely. And it's given us, again, intentional uh, ways of meeting our neighbours, which has, le has led to increasing invites from our neighbours into homes, whether that's been popping for coffee, parties, we've been invited to weddings, uh, funerals, uh, having to call an ambulance, they're not connected, but those kinds of things. People kind of um, 
have come to us and said, you know, we've got to know people because you don't always see people on the street. Uh, you have to make that intentional um, uh, opportunity. So it brings me just to my second point, naturally engage on spiritual things. Uh, as I've said, if we're generally friends with people, it comes up at some point. It did with those that I swam with. Uh, often you, you would talk about just the, the general things, but then they'd want to find out about your life, uh, what's important to you, how would you approach this decision or that decision. Again, it's happened with our immediate neighbours too around us in conversations and opportunities to offer to pray uh, with people. I'm always on the lookout for opportunities to pray because for me, that's what drew me to Jesus, hearing somebody pray for me. Suddenly, they were praying to God uh, and uh, actually I mattered to God. So looking out for those opportunities. Uh, in particular, I've got uh, some mums that I met through Nathan's reception class, uh, six of us. Our WhatsApp group is the class of 2003, so we've known each other for quite a few years, 15 years. And we're all from different backgrounds, faiths and situations. Uh, but we get together regularly and we just, I just find that I drop stuff into conversation really, leave them wanting to know more. Uh, taking an interest in them, noticing what's important to them and listening. I'm not wanting to turn the conversation into an argument, I win. Uh, it's led to natural conversations and questions about what I believe. Our values as a family, as all our families have grown up, uh, they, it's been lots of discussion about why we do things the way we do things, uh, opportunities to pray and also share answer prayer. Then finally, uh, when there's an opportunity, draw them into your Christian friends. Invite them along to events. So over the years, Christmas carol service, comedy night, Balti and Big Questions, a, a while back, swimming friends have come to that. Uh, the school mums, when the boys each got baptised, uh, inviting them and their kids along to those. Uh, and I don't turn it into a deal breaker when they say no. Uh, go on showing friendship. Go on inviting them into your life, events and places where they meet others from church. Uh, for one of the mums from um, the class of 2003, introducing her to Lindsay, uh, who's in this site here a few years back, knowing Lindsay had been through a similar situation to what she at that point was going through, letting her hear Lindsay's story and ask questions and hear about the difference that Lindsay's faith in Jesus made to her had such an impact and continues to. She's often, it comes up in conversation when I see her. So for me, number one is make genuine friendships uh, for the sake of friendships. And for some, that might help, like having a rhythm of doing some of the same things regularly. Naturally engage on spiritual things. With your Christian friends, do that. So I think it's then easier uh, to do that uh, with those that you've got those um, genuine friendships with. And number three, it's an opportunity uh, where there's an opportunity to draw them into your Christian friends. Uh, just, just one thing to add, a real practical thing. I always carry around one of, you know, like the leaflets and things like that in my back pocket or my bag or whatever, because I kind of think I want to look out for those sudden opportunities as well with a stranger, got something to give to them. Or if my friend says, which church is it that you do go to? I want to leave them with something. So, very practically, uh, let me just leave you with a few things that are coming up over the next few months that you can get to work putting all of this into practice around. First of all, uh, is faith reasonable? Uh, I think it is. Uh, and uh, we, this term, have pulled up all the stops and we've invited uh, a world-class 
top speaker, a guy called John Lennox, uh, who literally is world-renowned, um, to a top-class venue, the Town Hall, uh, for a top-class event. Uh, but it wouldn't be the same if none of your friends weren't there. And so, just want to flag this up. Monday, the 19th of November, uh, 7.30 to 9.30. All the details there. Uh, be thinking now. I mean, it's uh, a little way away, but you can be thinking now, who can I be just prepping for this? Uh, I, I love it if this site uh, had more people there than the 20 other partner churches that I think we've got. Is it 20 partner churches, Steve? 24 partner churches are like Church Central South site to get in there first and fill that venue because our friends will benefit. Also, uh, we're going to continue this term with our big question Sundays. Uh, once a month, tackling uh, a question that we're hoping some of your friends might be interested in. So two questions coming up uh, this term. 14th of October, can I be good without God? kind of a general talk that I think would be relevant for all of your friends. Uh, 11th of November, we're tackling the issue, what does God say about mental health? Uh, and again, I think increasingly that is an issue that people are grappling with. And the way we do those mornings, we have a, a shorter talk than this. Um, we have uh, a panel of people with stories or experiences to share from their own lives around the subject. Uh, and then we finish it off with open Q&A, where no question is off limits. And so just there are cards uh, out there, I think, uh, that you can pick up and start inviting people to either of those things. Uh, please draw them along to those. And then Christmas is, how many weeks away is Christmas? I'm sure someone knows. 100 days, 100 days. Well, Aaron, you do not disappoint. Great. Uh, most of your friends, if asked, would actually be quite keen to go to a carol service at Christmas. Now, a few people wouldn't, but most of your friends would like to go to a carol service at Christmas. So you're being a good friend if you invite them to one. And to that end, we're putting on not one, but two carol services at Southside this Christmas. We're doing the kind of similar style to the previous years in terms of more of a family-friendly, uh, fun one uh, in this room on a Sunday morning. Um, but we're also going to be doing an evening one, which will be a little more grown up uh, for some of the friends and some of the neighbours and work colleagues for whom kind of a family one, not quite their thing. So we're going to reach out to both demographics this year. Details still to be confirmed, but be thinking now, okay, who could I be inviting to those? Each of these events I've just flagged up is going to be high quality, but they depend on you having friends to bring along. So you've got a few months to invest in those friendships using some of the top tips that Helen has flagged up, and then please have the courage to invite to these events. And then finally, because my hunch is most of us would be quite keen to pray more if we just knew how to, we've lined up a few things that aim to help fuel your devotion to prayer. Now, show of hands on this one, how many of you think it's reasonably important for us to gather at least once a term as a site to pray. I'm not, I'm not looking at who doesn't put their hands up, but the majority. And so we've got this one right. We've got a weekend of prayer at South Site coming up in October, the 6th and 7th of October, Saturday, Sunday. We've got a number of prayer events lined up through that weekend on the Saturday morning, uh, a family prayer time 
the Saturday afternoon, uh, a campus prayer walk. The Saturday evening, we'll be praying for the site and the rest of the world. And then on the Sunday evening, on the 7th, going to be commissioning everyone on the site out into the world they inhabit, praying for different workplaces, different environments, different areas in the city, school, university, whatever. Please make a note, 6th and 7th of October, and those who said they thought this was kind of important, please be there. Okay, who thinks, as a site, you might not want to commit to this, but who thinks it would be good if at least some people in the site were praying every week? Yeah, yeah? I mean, you don't have to commit to this yourself, but you think it'd be good if some people did. Okay, well, because you think it'd be great for someone else, we've lined up a couple of things for those people. First of all, we are relaunching our Sunday morning before the meeting prayer time. Now, it didn't work for some people. Some people don't know what I'm talking about. Uh, We've learned from what happened before. Now, there's a risk in this. So, we did 9.30 to 10 but people would kind of pitch up at 9.45 or somewhere between 9.30 and 9.45. We're going for a power quarter of an hour. So if you're late, you'll miss it. So don't even bother. So though every Sunday in the kids' room, just around the corner there, 9.45 on the dot starting for a pure adrenaline-pumped quarter of an hour of prayer suitable for all ages and all stages, we're going to be praying every Sunday from next Sunday. So 9.45 to 10 o'clock, just get a quarter of an hour earlier than you normally would for your 10 o'clock coffee, and we'll be praying together. So next Sunday we're doing that, and our life groups. We're going to be more intentional about praying in our life groups uh, this term, feeding information into the life groups. If you're not yet signed up for a life group, Dawn told you how to do that. And we have a specific prayer life group as well that I think has two spaces left in it. So sign up for that if you want to. And then finally, who of you, I am looking for the answer to this, who of you would be willing to pray daily if you at least had a bit of information or a bit of help to know what to pray about? Okay, fair few of you. We're pulling out all the stops here. We have got a brand new app that you can download to your phone as of today, Prayer Mate. Now, it's not our app. It's actually someone else designed it. And there are loads of different churches on it. And it is a bit of a faff trying to find Church Central on it. In fact, it would probably take you three and a half minutes to download the app and then go through all the stages necessary. And so to help you, our very own Rich Pitt has recorded himself (laughs) going through the processes and hunt it down on social media. It'll be out today, and you can follow or walk step by step with Rich Pitt through the point of downloading it. Uh, And some people in our family needed help just kind of work out where the app store was. And uh, he's very practical about all of that stuff to some of the kind of finer details um, of uh, how to find Church Central. And every day, starting tomorrow, there'll be one thing on there, a suggestion to pray. It might be about news from Beirut, might be something that someone in the site is facing, uh, different things every day, just one prayer point. It will just take you 30 seconds each day to have a read, fire up a quick prayer, win all round. That's it. Thank you very much for coming. Thank you for listening. Go, share the good news of Jesus, pray, and let's see what God does. Thank you very much.